in Zimbabwe, to begin, we have this lovely saying, well, I don't know if it's lovely, right on board, you can see, anyone want to try, try just try and read it, let's see if anyone can read that, that would be amazing. Nika ndayedza kuijiga asindataza kupedza. And the literal translation of that would read something like this. I have tried to eat the world, but it seems to never end. In other words, obviously it's saying, I have tried to gain the world, but I'm never satisfied. Is it possible to gain the world? One of my favorite things to do um, in my free time is I watch uh, TED Talks uh, or listen to some creative, uh, inspiring podcasts. Um, and for those who don't know what a TED Talk is, basically a talk given to an audience uh, by a specific uh, knowledgeable person in a specific knowledgeable area. Uh, and TED Talks can be very inspiring and really good. Uh, and I love new ideas and concepts, and so I love listening to TED Talks. But for some, it's a way to advance into the world. It's a way of, you know, getting a bit further. And so the question is the way, is the world gainable? Can we gain the world? I think as humans, we are constantly trying to gain the world. Uh, and I think some have gained a little bit more than others. But for me, this question begs another question. If we can attain and gain the kingdom of this world to say, is it possible to attain or gain the kingdom of God? Now, uh, if there is anyone new in here, uh, and this idea of the kingdom of God is a bit new to you, uh, first of all, welcome. It's lovely to have you here. Uh, and basically, I guess a question I would offer to you is this. Is there more to life than what this world is offering us? Uh, in Christianity, we learn about a man called Jesus who came to this world, teaching us about another kingdom, a kingdom where his father is God and he himself is God. And he proclaimed that this kingdom is good news. A kingdom where there will be no longer suffering, pain, and hunger, and death. And so, if you are new and exploring, would love for you to continue to explore this kingdom and this men that we're talking about. The question, can we gain the kingdom of God, is theologically not correct. I would get in trouble with our senior pastor if I say, can we, we can gain the kingdom of God. Because really, as Christians, we believe that it was only through grace and nothing that we do to gain the kingdom of God. So I'll rephrase this question then, and it says this. If we can wisely invest our resources and money into the world to gain interest and wealth, then is it possible to wisely invest our resources and money to the kingdom of God for a different gain or for a kingdom gain in that sense? And of course, today we are continuing with our, li our series LifeX, um, and we are looking at money. Uh, hopefully, you've picked up on that. Uh, and I've titled this sermon, How We Ought to View Money as Followers of Jesus. Now, earlier on, I mentioned about TED Talks, and there's a great talks of money on TED Talks, some really good ones. Uh, but today, we'll be listening to a different type of TED Talk, basically, what does the Proverbs teach us about money, and in particular, what does Jesus teach us about money? Uh, and uh, just 
to help me with some clarity. What I've done is I've looked at four proverbs, or I'll be looking at four proverbs, and I've divided them into four lessons or principles, because if I don't do that, I'll be everywhere at the same time, and there will not be any clarity. Um, yeah, I, I get very excited with things, so I need to make sure that I stay in course. And I trust as we go through this, this will be clear for you, clear for us, and obviously, hopefully, Jesus will be speaking to all of us. So let's jump in and let's look at the first Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. In this world, money is a commodity. That is something exchanged uh, for something of similar value. So, you know, I give you this, you give me that, we are all happy, uh, we all benefit. And it might seem for the first time we look at these proverbs um, on the screen, God is kind of similar doing the same thing, saying, you know, give me your wealth, your first fruits, and I'll fill you with some new wine, I'll give you something else. But if we read these proverbs in this way, we will miss something very, very important. And this is not a value for a value exchange. Uh, and I'll explain that as we look at this verse in context. Um, because of time, I'm not going to read this whole verse, but I'll paraphrase it. I want you to notice something amazing in this proverb, uh, in this verse, verses. Giving is not for his sake, but rather for us. Imagine, if you like, a sort of a well-being check, uh, and God saying, you know, you, you want to be overfilled, you want to stay healthy, you want a prolonged life. I am the source. I would do that for you if you remain in me. If you look in verse 1. Hold on to my love and faithfulness in verse 3. Trust me, he says in verse 5. Take my wisdom. Put me first in verse 9, he says. What he really is saying is, I want, to, I want to give this to you. I want to give you more. I want to keep you nourished. But you need to remain in me. Because, friends, honoring God is really just acknowledging that he's the one who gave first. How much we have, how much you have, is insignificant. Because he gave that to you anyway. He's interested in a heart that honors him. And when you give, for example, in, to, to church or in church, it's not about the work of the church or the ministries in the church that we serve because it's their gods anyway. And he can provide miraculously for those if he needed to. But when you give, you honor him. And in honoring him, in honoring him you actually partner with him in the work that he is doing through the church and around the world. And isn't that incredible? to actually partner with God to do that. Looking at something that Jesus teaches, he teaches a simple story in Luke 21, uh, and they're sort of like, like us in a service, and they're tithing. And so rich men are putting their money in the, in the bag, and this woman, she gives everything that she has, and I think it was two pence. And now, just a couple of observations that I want to share with you. The first one is, Jesus did not stop here from putting or that she had. Now, that is not TED Talk material. Uh, you wouldn't be invited back. Because a good TED Talk speaker would advise that woman to invest, 
make a bit more, then she can, you know, do more with the money. But notice what Jesus says about you. She has put more. In other words, like the proverb, she has put her trust in me. She's holding on to my love and faithfulness. She's taking my wisdom. She says, she has put me first. She has honored me. Are we allowing our wisdom and wise decisions to stop us from honoring God? Is the wisdom of this world stopping us from honoring God? And another very quick lesson actually from this passage is that honoring God is not reserved for the wealth only because it's not about how much you have. It's about this, your heart. I think money is a good reflection of where our hearts lie. And Jesus wants to draw us to his kingdom of God, but I think one of the greatest tools the enemy uses is money to take us away from God. So let us honor God with our money and let him fill us with new wine because he is faithful. So first principle, first lesson we can learn from this is we honor God when we give him our very best. Let's move on to the second proverb. Proverbs 8, 17 to 21, it says this. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of righteous, of justice bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasures full. Now, this is the best time for me to address my previous question. Is it possible to wisely invest our resources and money to the kingdom of God for a kingdom gain? What does godly profit look like? Earlier we talked about money being a commodity, something we use to exchange for something of similar value. Um, and we learn that when we give to God, we are basically honoring him uh, and partnering with him in what he's doing through the church and around the world. And now we come into a topic of sharing in his inheritance. So like the previous proverb, I'd like just to look at this proverb in context. And here, we have this wisdom crying. Look in verse 1, what it says. Does wisdom not cry out? To you, all people, I call, it says. If you go to the next slide, again, it shouts. Choose my instruction instead of silver. For wisdom is more precious than rubies. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. And the last one, those who seek me, find me. With me are riches and honor. So let me ask you, what profit are you yearning for? Are you gaining the world and yet losing your soul, as Jesus says in Matthew 16? Uh, if you missed out on the last series in the Revelation, a fantastic series... Uh, there was one of the stories that was shared and, uh, from a church in Laodicea, and he says this to them. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich. Friends, I'm sorry to say, but unless Jesus is first, we are just wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Are you taking the invite, the invitation to buy gold refined in fire so you can become truly rich? With me are riches and honor, says Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met someone who's rich, uh, but not like with earthly richness, with not with earthly wealth? Aren't they the most amazing people you've ever met? C.S. Lewis, in his book, uh, Mere Christianity, he calls them mini-Christ. Have you ever met a mini-Christ? We have some in this church, and I've met them, uh, but I won't share who they are, just, you know, you, you, you need to find that for yourself. Here's another parallel uh, of, to, of, to one of Jesus' teachings. Uh, and this is an incredible story in Matthew, in Mark 10, sorry, Mark 10, 17 to 22. Here's an incredible story of a young man who did everything right. Here's your best Christian. He ran up to Jesus, if you read the words. He ran up to Jesus, fell on his knees, and he asked the right questions. And when Jesus said, do you keep this, do you keep this? He kept all the commandments. Yes, this is a boy I, I have kept. And the Bible tells us that Jesus looked at him and what? Loved him. But Jesus knew that something in his heart was not fully given to him. And in Christianity, we call these idols. Friends, this story was not about the money. Anything that stands between you and Jesus is the problem. It can be anything for you. It can be your car. For some, it can be your husband, your wife, your dreams, your career. For pet lovers, it can be your cat. Anything that stands between you and Jesus is a problem. They're called idols. Here was a, an opportunity for this young man to invest all he had, including his money, and give his life to Jesus. Imagine the experience he would have had. I mean, we read the Gospels from Peter, from John. What if one of the Gospels was written from him, from all the adventures he had with Jesus? Wouldn't that be incredible? He did not understand that Jesus longed to give him gold refined in fire. He did not see that he was poor, naked, wretched, because he was holding on to an idol. This is not a follow Jesus and be rich message, no. But Jesus is longing to share with you his inheritance. Are we settling for something less? So here's the second principle. We are wretched, we are poor, but Jesus is inviting us to his inheritance. Are we willing to let go of our idols? Uh, there's a very beautiful verse, I really like this verse, in uh, Luke 12. Uh, it's a great read if you haven't read it. Uh, but just reading the last two verses, uh, 32 and 33, says, Don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you his kingdom. Sell your positions, possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasures for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. 
your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal and no moth can destroy it. I think that's amazing. It gives him great happiness to share with you his inheritance. Isn't that incredible? All right. Let's look at the last two parables. Proverbs. Oh, sorry, not parables. Proverbs. <laughs> Proverbs 10, 2 to 5. There's a great um, misconception and contention, I think, uh, between the idea of God providing for your needs and having to work hard for your needs. Um, I know some Christians actually debate on this, you know, don't work too hard, God just will give it to you. And I think this proverb provides some clarity. So let's just go through it point by point. First one. Ill-gotten treasures... Sorry, I'll have to read like this. Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. Simply, don't gain wealth by evil deeds. Don't steal, don't lie. The biblical principles, the ABC, simple ones. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. God promises to provide for his children, and he promises to prevent or ruin the plans of the wicked. That is the hope we have as children of God, that God will provide for us in his timing. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. So God will provide, but work hard, don't be a bad example. We ought to be good stewards of the talents that God has given us. Jesus teaches the parable of uh, the servants who were all given different talents, and the one servant decided to bury his talent. It did not go well for him. Yes, God will provide, but we honor him by being good stewards of what he has given us. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Be smart, plan. Christians also use budgets, and they save money, and they pay bills. There's a, it's not one of my favorite English words, but it's an English word I've learned just here, and it says this, don't be daft. <laughs> you see, the principles in, given on a third talk will cover the first uh, the last two points, three and four, about how you can be wealthy with money. But they miss out on the first two points in verse, of verse one and verse, verse two and verse three. I want you to see this. Obviously, they might agree with, yes, don't lie, don't steal. But, you know, if you need to. <laughs> but what the Bible is, is talking about is referring to a heart that is transformed a heart of a person changed by the work of God. That's what it's talking about. And a TED Talk won't necessarily cover that. The second point is, we do not trust in the treasures of this world as our source of provision, but we trust in God's faithfulness and that God will provide. You see, in the world, we are defined by what we have. So it's either we are proud of ourselves and we boast ourselves because, you know, we've, we've got much. Or we feel worthless because we haven't acquired much. 
But when we believe God is our provider, we do not boast or look down on those who don't have because whether we have plenty or we have much, it is through Jesus. In Christ, our identity remains the same. That's why this message is good news. It's not about what we have, but about a life given to God. Paul says in Acts 17, 28, For in him we, li- we live and move and have our being. We are his offspring. So, this takes us to our third principle. Our identity should only be in Christ, not in our wealth. Only then can we truly be generous and go stewards of the portion God has given us to manage. And that word identity simply means where we get our worth from. You see, friends, I could stand here and preach to you about generosity all day long, but unless we are transformed by God, we can never be truly generous. Because even an act of generosity can be selfish. Many religions are generous. But when we recognize where our worth is from, it will transform how we see everything, and that includes our money. So let's move on to our last proverb, and we'll finish. Um, Proverbs 37 to 9. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and still and so dishonor the name of the Lord. There's a great honesty and humility in this writer. His name is Ago, Agu, Aga, A-G-U-R. You can pronounce for yourselves. He begins this proverb, this proverb in verse 1 by saying, I am weary, I am only a brute. He says, I'm a weak person, but you, God, because of you, I can prevail. The story of the world is that there is not enough. Daily bread does not exist. We keep trying to eat the world because the world tells us there is no daily bread. And what we gain is never enough, so we keep eating. But the writer of this proverb reminds us that there is one who can satisfy. You see, Jesus asked us to ask him of our daily bread, and if he has given us plenty, this is what we do on the screen. The next slide. We got these principles. We honor God. We give him our very best. We are rich. We're poor. And we we invite us to share his inheritance. And we find our identity in him. But also, when we have very little, again, it's the same principles. We honor God. We give him our very best. We are rich. We are poor. Our identity should be in him. Whether we have much or whether we have less, these principles remain the same. The lesson from Aga is here is that in humility and in knowing his weaknesses, he prays a very honest prayer. Because, friends, we are only human and temptation is always right in front of us. So we need to keep watch. There's a danger with money, uh, and you can see what Aga writes there. I may have, if I have too much, I might disown him. And if I have too little, I might steal and dishonor him. Friends, unless we keep watch, 
temptation is always at the door. Jesus taught us to pray. And he says, give glory to God, surrender to his will, ask of him our daily bread, repent and ask not to be led into temptation. We all know that prayer, don't we? So here's the last principle. Pray and keep watch that your heart may not be tempted to dishonor God. So these are your four principles. If you are someone who writes things down. I think we can gain much of the world, but it will never satisfy. But when we give all we are to Jesus, we can partner with him to what he's doing, the amazing work he's doing in this church, in this community, and in the world around us. I was reading a verse that's in the prayer room there just this week, actually. Uh, it really, it's really summarizes uh, the point of this message, how we ought to be as Christians, or as children of God, instead of trying to eat the world. So instead of trying to eat the world, maybe we can paint the world. It says in Matthew 5, 18, 14, and this is from the Message Bible, let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people test godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We are going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. I invite you to search your heart. Has God been receiving your second best? Is he worthy of everything that you have? Are we holding on? Are you holding on to anything that is coming between you and Jesus that might need to be laid down? Are you allowing this world to define you? Because Jesus wants to share with you in his inheritance. He is inviting you and he gives you freely. He loves you so much.